Now nearly a year since our separation, I've decided to begin a new sermon series, an emergency sermon series, that will attempt to call our full attention to the love of God. Each Sunday of Lent, as well as Monday Thursday, we'll look in wonder on God's love, like turning over a brilliant sapphire in our hands, in full sunlight, and wondering about all of the facets of God's love and the unique aspects, as many as we're able Why am I calling this an emergency sermon series? Because I believe the length of our separation calls for it. It's possible to forget the most important truth of all, the immeasurable breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God and the fullness of God we see in Jesus Christ revealed to us. Consider this series then an urgent call to remember what we might just as easily forget under so much duress. So I hope you'll join me and consider my colleagues and me, as well as those helping lead our worship services across this season as a kind of paramedics of the Spirit. And so as we proceed through the Lenten season, each sermon title will give away the theme, just like today's, God is steadfast love. Next Sunday, God is crucified love. The Sunday after, God is zealous love, and so on. I had a professor in college who was a famous, uh, still is a famous agnostic. I'll leave him unnamed for now, but he was a popular professor, and he would regale a classroom full of 250 people uh, each semester. A new class would come in and he would tell his story about how he gave up his faith and became an agnostic. That's someone who's pretty, pretty sure there's a God, but not quite sure what that God's name is or what that God is like. And this is a person who grew up in a a Baptist church, grew up going to Sunday school and vacation Bible school and in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And then he went to college and studied scripture And then he looked around at the world and he saw all the suffering and he couldn't reconcile the two and he began to lose his faith and it was very painful for him. And he would tell the story with tears in his eyes, but it all came down to this. He couldn't look around at all that was happening and all that had happened and believe that if there is a God, that God would be a loving God. And so we might share that question with him, perhaps not his conclusion. But after all that's happened, after all we've been through, can we say God is love? Can we say God is steadfast love? Can it be really in the midst of this pestilence, now that the virus has dropped the life expectancy of an American by well over a year, in just about a year, can we really say God is steadfast love? Can we say God is steadfast love after the rock has been lifted to expose every deadly pathology and conniving system of cruelty and deprivation humankind ever belabored to orchestrate? Can we say with full conviction that the God of all creation is a God of steadfast love after all of this? 
to the daughter who says goodbye to her father after not being able to see him in the nursing home since last March, to the black neighborhood whose taxes are going to go up while the white neighborhood's taxes remain the same or even go down, to the struggling young family who would like to buy a house but have yet to touch the principal on their student loans after 15 years of payments, to the young woman who graduated college during the dot-com bust and who was just getting on her feet during the Great Recession and then struggling again after losing it all in the pandemic. To the one who struggles to balance the appointments and the medications just to lead some semblance of a normal life. To the parents worried sick in the waiting room. To the widow who will never get used to how quiet the house is now. After all that has happened, after all that has happened to you, to us, after all that has been done to us, and after all that we've done and all that we've left undone, after all the devastations of many generations, can we really say with conviction that God is a God of steadfast love? Steadfast? Well, that's what the psalmist presumes. Don't remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me. Notice, though, the psalmist, she doesn't say, if you are a God of steadfast love, remember me, but according to your steadfast love, remember me. Life has not been kind to her. She's in the mire. She's praying for deliverance from her enemies, whoever and whatever they might be. In spite of her being cornered by life and so many of the things that haunt or threaten us, in spite of the darkness of the time of her own life, she continues to trust that God is not only somehow there for her, that God is not only trustworthy, but God is a God whose love is steadfast. Even more, the descriptor she uses for God's love in this instance, steadfast, is one of her favorite words of all. Across the book of Psalms, she uses it 127 times. That's almost enough to use it once for each of the 150 Psalms. Chesed is the word that means steadfast, faithful, constant, loyal. It's the word the authors of the Old Testament rely on to convey the length and the breadth, the height and the depth of God's love. Steadfast love means God's covenant loyalty to Israel, first and foremost. Remember, when, when God made the first covenant with Abram, Abram prepared the animals. This is how they made covenants at that time. They would take certain animals, they would slice them lengthwise through the middle and splay them on one side and the other and create a path, a pathway. And you would walk through the pathway and say, so may it be done to me if I do not keep this promise. Cut me in half if I don't keep this promise to you. That's how they made covenants. Well, before Abram is able to walk between the the animals that he has sliced open 
in order to make the covenant, God puts Abram to sleep. And a deep and terrifying darkness descends on Abram. And while he sleeps, the Lord promises him the promised land. And then, mysteriously, a smoking fire pot and a torch pass through the cut pieces. Not Abram, but fire. The Lord makes the covenant with us, sustains the covenant with us, and keeps the covenant with us even while we sleep. God loves us, speaks to us, holds us, keeps us, cherishes us. Even when we sleep, God is steadfast love. Maybe this is why the psalmist trusts God's love to be so loyal. She remembers. She remembers the covenant God cuts with Abram. Maybe she also remembers how God has delivered Israel from their enemies by cutting a pathway from Egypt all the way to the promised land and nurturing them and waiting on them with angels all the way through. She finds God trustworthy enough to hear her prayer despite all that has happened to her people and to her. Despite all that her people have done and all that they've left undone, God's love for Israel remains unbroken, uncompromised. So she trusts God. She trusts God enough to hold her and keep her in spite of her own sins and the sins of her people. Her sins are No match for God's steadfast love. Faithful, constant, loyal, covenant-cut love. And in this new season of Lent, this time of self-reflection and prayer and, and penance, we do things to repent from our sins, to train in righteousness, to walk a new path, We do well to remember a love that holds us together in spite of our sins. God's loyal love overcomes, overpowers, overturns all of our sin. Our sins, individually, our sin, collectively. Even more, we may recognize God's steadfast love in the instruction that sets us on a new pathway of truth and faithfulness. Whether in the midst of an individual threat or widespread calamity, the psalmist not only trusts that God will forgive her transgressions, but also that God will provide this saving pathway for her. Perhaps she thinks of the torch and the fiery, the pot of fire and the flame of the torch accompanying her through this new pathway. Said in the context of Lent, I wonder if the pathway for us is the pathway that baptism opens to us. That to be baptized is an appeal to God for a good conscience. And through this new conscience, we're made able to see more of the evidence of God's steadfast love than ever before. Lest we think that baptism is a deliverance into an easier life or a more comfortable life, remember that just after Jesus is baptized, he is thrust out into the wilderness, alone. He's alone. And he's vulnerable. And in his vulnerability, Satan, Ha-Satan, the Satan, the accuser, the fallen angel comes and tempts him. 
But I love what the text says. It says the angels waited on him. Jesus fends off Satan's accusations and temptations. And the angels come and wait on Jesus. And that's just one of those lines that opens up your imagination. And it doesn't fill in the details, but we can imagine if the text says the angels came and waited on Jesus, what that must have been like for Jesus as he was in the wilderness, alone and vulnerable, just as we feel, just as we are. Maybe Gabriel came. Maybe Gabriel was was one of the angels that came and waited on Jesus and sang to him and gave him the pleasures of the sound of his voice out there in the wilderness. Maybe it wasn't just Gabriel. Maybe it was also Michael who came and helped defend him from further temptations. Maybe Michael came and descended and waited on him and served Jesus in powerful ways that we don't even know about, but we can imagine if it, if it says angels came and waited on him, why not Michael to come and, and stand in the way sometimes to help provide Jesus with some of the strength that he needed to get through the day. What if Raphael came? Raphael the angel. We're Baptists. We don't know that many angels' names, perhaps, but here's another new one, Raphael. Raphael is the angel who's a healing angel. Maybe Raphael helped to heal Jesus as he felt the hunger pangs growing. We do remember that After the 40 days in the wilderness, he was famished. Maybe Raphael came and served him and helped him as he waited on him. He waited on him as a healing servant. We can imagine these things in faithful ways. What angel do you believe waits on us? Could it be Gabriel or or Michael or Raphael? I wonder about another angel, and and this angel is not in the Protestant canon of Scripture, but it is in the Catholic canon of Scripture. In the book of Enoch, there's named there an angel named Phanuel. And Phanuel is an angel who helps us to repent. And so I found myself wondering that though we are not without sin as Jesus was, We, after our baptisms, have been thrust out into this wilderness, and perhaps angels are here to wait on us too in this deep, dark time to remind us of God's steadfast love and presence. The angel Phanuel perhaps comes and waits on us to help us repent, to give us the strength, to teach us how, to show us the pathway forward. Where might we find Phanuel? I wonder if I saw Phanuel this past Wednesday. Between the hours of 12 and 2 and between the hours of 4 and 5.30, as you came and stood before the sanctuary and found a pathway attended by ministers into the sacred garden and then out in front of the portico of the church, to stand and kneel before the cross and to offer the stone of your burden at the foot of that cross and then come and be reminded of your mortality. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Remember that you are but dust and to dust you shall return. I believe I saw Phanuel in all of it 
doting on us, serving us, waiting on us. I saw the evidence of that in the tears, in the laughter, in the acts of penance, in the acts of contrition, in the standing, in the kneeling, in the hoping, and the longing. Incidentally, Fanuel's name means face of God. And I remember one couple coming up to me for the imposition of ashes. I shared with them the little cups with the ashes in them, and they, already knowing what to do, took the cup and, after perhaps 50 years of marriage, stared deep into one another's eyes. And they traded the ashes. Remember, you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. I saw the, the deep love, the evidence of a life of steadfast love. And yeah, maybe even as a Baptist, I gave thanks to the angel Fanuel for showing me that. Because in all we've been through and all we've seen, all we've done and left undone is God, can we really say this? Can we say God is steadfast love? I believe yes. Can we say this God of steadfast love is with us? I believe yes. Can we even say in this wilderness that even the angels are waiting on us? I believe yes.